Really nice to be here. What a great place, eh? What a provision of God. And um, you ain't seen nothing yet. <laughs> Felt as I was reflecting this morning, uh, partly during Caleb's talk and Bridget's talk, I saw these white doors opening. Like this is a moment for you, church. It's a door opening moment. And I saw those doors into all kinds of interesting places. And I suppose I wanted to say right from the outset this morning, could I encourage you to have hearts open for conversations that just open a door for you that you'd not seen before? And to be alert to those moments in work, in society, in the neighborhood, in the street, in the town center, in the public service arena. I believe God is going to open doors. There are doors of health that God is going to open. There are doors into public service for this church that God is going to open. There are other doors that we don't know yet, we haven't seen yet, but being awake to the Reality that God is in a season, a moment of opening doors can keep us alert so that we don't miss those moments. Work is what we're going to talk about, but don't switch off if you're retired from paid work. Don't switch off if you're in voluntary service. Don't switch off if you're at school or university because work is not an afterthought. I'll grab my clicker, thanks. Josh, will have the first slide up, please? Work is not an afterthought, a punishment, or a mistake. And I want to suggest to you this morning that work is a wonderful, wonderful word. It's a word that rolls around heaven. And it's a word that heaven sends to earth. It's a word that's in the mind, the heart, the plan, the intent, the purpose of God, Father, Son, and yes, the Holy Spirit. From the very beginning, the Spirit of God and work, from the very first page in our Bible, we see the Spirit of God and work connected. God and work were intended to be an everyday expression of the creation. And by the way, what is work? Work is not defined by how little or how much we earn. Work is defined as any expenditure of physical or emotional energy. What we do, even what we think, those of us that are gifted as thinkers and academics. High paid, low paid, no paid, and especially stay-at-home mums and dads. And for those of us who have retired from paid work. I've been looking, by the way, there's two prophetic words that have come out of the COVID tsunami that have stood the test of time across the world. You've probably heard them. There are loads, but two that have stood the test of time. Uh, one is a very familiar scripture, behold, I'm doing a new thing as it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? And the next one, which was three chapters, or is three chapters later in the prophet's book, where he says, I'm doing a new thing, something you have not seen before, so that you cannot say I knew of this. Now, I'm still looking 
for what that might be. And it's probably the case that, like Peter on the day of Acts, we won't know what it is till it happens, actually. But it doesn't stop me seeking. But one ingredient that I do know is in the mix for you who are in retirement years is what I've come to call longevity. And the queen is quadirat demonstrandum. There is no age limit to service. None. And I want to encourage those of you who are not in paid work and who are actually in retirement years or approaching them to face it with a new wide open door of expectation and hope and with the certain knowledge that if you will seek him, you will find him in it. And you are included in this message most especially. So don't think of the office or the shop floor only when I talk about work. Think about whatever you're doing for God. So work is not defined by how little or how much we earn. Oh, by the way, yeah, resources. I'm only going to skip through stuff this morning. So in terms of this morning's message, these two books, Love, Work, Live Life, uh, produced in conjunction with Care for the Family, and this one, Work, Prison, or Place of Destiny, will take what I'm going to share and give you much more uh, resource and some stories of application. So spirit-fueled work, the first responsibility in the Bible, the first responsibility given to man, before God even gave Adam his family, he gave him work. Genesis 2, the Lord took the man and put him into the garden, listened to the word, to work it and to take care of it. You won't read anywhere in Scripture that Adam was placed here to worship. You won't find it. He was placed here to work. But as he worked in partnership and in relationship with God, that became his place of worship and service. We quickly see, by the way, from any informed reading of the Genesis creation account, that work is beautiful, it is good, it is one of God's outstanding diamonds in the crown of creation. Men and women together from the very beginning were created to have fellowship with each other and with God by working on his planet, serving each other and serving God, God's plan, God's purpose, God's intent in the process. Let me ask you folks, where did Adam have his most intimate, Bridget-style, authentic, spirit-filled moments with God? Tell me. What was the garden? His workplace. One of the challenges is sacred-secular divide casts its sinister spell and its virus contamination in all sorts of ways. And one of them is to say, I can only have a certain type of intimacy with God in one place. Actually, it's in every place that we have access to this incredible relationship with the Holy Spirit, who, by the way, is longing to meet you, yes, in your bedroom or in your lounge, but he's longing to walk with you on the streets, longing to meet with you on the shop floor or in the office or in the voluntary work. God made us in his image so that we can fulfill his purpose in ourselves and in the world by working. Work is not a barrier to fulfilling the purposes of God. It's not some kind of holding tank so you can do the more important work in the church. Thank God for the work in the church, but please don't ever think that what you do, wherever you are, is not where God wants you to be. The first anointing you'll read in Scripture was work. 
So you want spirit-fueled work, you go to the first anointing. The first mention in Scripture is usually deemed to be significant. And in Exodus 35, we see the first record in the Bible of God choosing men in this instance and putting his Holy Spirit on them. What was it for? To lead the people of Israel? To be tribe leaders? No. In Exodus 35, 31, talking about a man named Bezalel. It says, he, that is God, has filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, ability, and knowledge. Now, we could have a whole message on that. Did you hear what I just read? Filled with the Spirit of God for what? Skill, ability, knowledge. In all kinds of crafts, to make artistic designs, to work with stones and wood, and to engage in all kinds of artistic craftsmanship, he has also given him and Aholiab the ability to teach. Any of you in this room teachers, raise your hands. First anointing in scripture belongs to your profession. And by the way, teaching in scripture was always linked to work. Always in the background, the everyday application is present. Just by the by, for those of you who are teachers, this is not a go at you, not remotely. You are God's frontline, full-time servants, and thank God for you. The kids that struggle, just try getting them to see pound signs in front of what you're trying to teach them. In other words, relate it to the everyday world that they can understand. Anyway, that's a digression. He has filled them with skill, listen, to, all, to do all kinds of work. I'm not making this up, folks. This is the first recording of an anointing in Scripture. As craftsmen, designers, embroiderers, and weavers, they were filled by the Holy Spirit for excellence in various work-based skills. And interesting to note the kaleidoscopic breadth of that first anointing it includes art design manufacturing education wood stones metal material what a wonderful holy spirit how dare we think that he wouldn't be interested ladies when you're knitting or as my wife called me this morning just finished a cardigan for a baby having done a patchwork quilt yesterday how dare we think that god would not be interested in those things they reflect who god is there is something so spiritual about every knit and pearl and patchwork stitch and teaching in front of a troublesome teenage class that carries a reflection of God's heart, God's intent, God's purpose. And for centuries we've robbed God by this dualistic, the presence of God is here but not there. Service for God is real here, but not real there. No, sir, that's a lie. It's a virus that needs to be deleted from the hard drive of our minds. Spirit-filled work in the Old Testament story. Abraham's the father of what, please, folks? Anybody? Faith. I submit to you that that is a pretty impressive title to have on your business card. I mean, father of the faith. And you know how he got that title, of course. 
God spoke to him at a miraculous encounter and he and Sarah were paid for by the church through a love offering to go and live in a sabbatical resort for six months where they could get close enough to God in order for God to reveal all he wants to reveal to him in order for him to be the father of our faith. You know that's nonsense. Abraham became a father of the faith, the father of our faith, as a businessman, a landowner, a cattle rancher, and an investor in silver and gold. One day, including you and me in this room, every tribe, every tongue, every nation will bend the knee before the throne of God because of God's promise to a working man. And it's not in spite of his occupation that he becomes qualified to be the father of our faith. No, it's precisely because of it and in it and through his faith-filled walk in it that he becomes qualified to be the father of our faith. By the way, for some of you, it's helpful to know that Scripture rarely talks about one source of income. Multiple sources is quite a biblical pattern. Who's the first prophet in the Bible, anybody? Have a guess. This is usually fun. Don't you answer, because you've been there. <laughs> Come on, give me a guess. First prophet. Adam. Now, usually that's about guess three, because everybody else has had a guess, and somebody thinks this must be Adam then. No, sir. But good try. Anybody else? First prophet in the Bible. Noah. Good guess. Wrong. Pardon? Isaiah. Good guess. Also wrong. But thank you for guessing. No, the first prophet in the Bible was Abel. Jesus said the blood of all the prophets from Zechariah to Abel. Who was Abel? He's a farmer. And do you know how he prophesied? His work-based worship so pleased the Father. And he's named as the first prophet. Becomes the first homicide in the workplace and also the first martyr in the workplace. Why? Because of his outstanding devotion to God in his place of work. Moses, the academic. By the way, if you ever go to the River Thames, how many of you have seen the Cleopatra's Needle? few of you. Okay, next time you go down there, go stroke it. Uh, it's quite likely, can't guarantee it, but quite likely Moses passed this on his way to and from university. At, at the first 40 years of his life, he was in the best academic institution, probably, of the known world. Please don't write in like one person did, how come Moses went to university in London? No, they shipped it over. <laughs> and then a nomadic farmer. And finally an international politician. I'm saying this stuff, and after a while it, the penny is going to drop. We spiritualize these people. We put them into some kind of ether location. He was a working man. David's Stories, Joseph's stories are well known as spirit-fueled 
working heroes. What about Daniel? Daniel's great eschatological revelation. I only know one other big word. <laughs> but you could ask in Frontiers, because I've done this, same in Salt and Light. You'll you get ten different views on Daniel's eschatology, his revelation concerning the end times. But that impressive, outstanding, gripping revelation was brought to birth as he worked in the civil service, in the king's court. His government job included heading up what is in today's parlance a political think tank with heavyweight occult practitioners on his team that he didn't choose. And you thought your job was tough. But here's the point, please let the penny drop. It is precisely in that environment that Daniel wrote the scripture which we hold in our hands some 2,000 plus years later. Ladies, Ruth fulfilled the purposes of God as a widow, as a refugee, as a housewife. Esther changed the course of world history by auditioning as a beauty queen. If you want to get really gritty, granular, she was probably the equivalent of today's sex slave. And yet here she is in a whole book in the Bible devoted to her faithful walk with God in a pathway and a marriage she, ne she never chose. And what about the prophets? I was listening to Amos on the way up. Amos ran a flock and a sycamore fig grove. Ezekiel, whilst coming from a priestly family, was incredibly well-versed in international affairs, culture, shipbuilding, literature. Today we would call him an academic. Nehemiah was a civil service governor. Obadiah was head of palace management. Elisha was a wealthy landowner and farmer with the equivalent of 12 combine harvesters. These, ladies and gentlemen, are the good people that wrote the spirit-fueled scriptures. And they were working men and women. I'll give you the exact number at the end of this talk. But well over half the Bible was written by working men and women. Please let that penny drop. What about spirit-fueled work and Jesus? Jesus was a student with good grades. He knew how to take on his teachers. He would have been apprenticed. He was the senior partner, ultimately in the family chippy or construction business. Jesus would have dealt with cash flow, pricing, quality, delivery, customer engagement. In Mark 6, Jesus is actually referred to, quote-unquote, as the carpenter, definite article. Now, it doesn't necessarily follow, but it probably means he had a reputation. He was the best in town. Let me put it this way. If you've got a table made or a boat repaired by Joseph and Sons, chances are it's pretty good. George MacDonald puts it like this, Jesus buying and selling and why not? Did Jesus make tables or chairs perhaps, which the people of Nazareth wanted without any mixture of business in the matter? Was there no transaction, no passing of money between hands? No, he says, there has to be a way of handling money that is as noble as the handling of the sword in the hands of of a patriot. The point I would like to make to you is this. This is not a Christmas card Jesus who was born in a sanitized manger with a halo over his head and a magic wand to heal the sick, manage large sums of money and manage teams. 
No, this is a workplace Jesus, 18 years at least of workplace Jesus, who learned to hear the Father at work and who learned to see what the Father was doing through his place of work. Let me give you one scripture which should settle this. There are plenty others. Jesus said, I always do what pleases him. That, ladies and gentlemen, includes 18 years on the shop floor working with his hands. John 4, Jesus says, my food, says Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And if nothing else, folks, those scriptures should encourage us to believe it is possible to please the Father through our work, to do his will at work and to finish what he sent us to do on the planet through our place of work. There's a cry in every child's heart. adult or one-year-old child, to please our fathers. It's in us. And what a joy to know that in our place of work we can please our Heavenly Father as the Spirit comes alongside us, engaging with us in our places of work. By the way, you cannot remotely, intelligently imagine practically or theologically the work of Jesus without the everyday involvement of the Spirit. It's impossible to contemplate. I feel like I've articulated that clumsy. Let me make it another, uh, put it another way. It's impossible to think of Jesus working in his carpentry shop without the Spirit of God present. He's the Son of God. How could he not be working with the Spirit? Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life in the workplace, as with every place. By the way, if you've ever said to yourself, I really wish I could earn more, and I wish I could get paid what I was worth. If you've ever said that to yourself, and you know who you are, will not ask for a show of hands. <laughs> Go start your own business. Because then, let me tell you, you will truly be paid what you're worth. And it's not always the surprise you were hoping for. I say all that tongue-in-cheek to make this point not tongue-in-cheek. Jesus was a self-employed micro-entrepreneur. Now reflect on this with me. Please let this penny drop. At the right hand of the Father in heaven, right now and for eternity, is a self-employed micro-entrepreneur who worked with his hands. That, by the way, is the Jesus I love. That is the Jesus I follow. And it's a workplace. Jesus, he shows beyond doubt that work can be his Father's business. It is wonderful, it is godly, it is eternal, and I can please my Father through my work. Spirit-fueled work in the New Testament. All right, time for class to engage again. Class, give me the names of at least six people in the book of Acts who were filled by the Spirit and brought the Spirit into all kinds of areas of life and the world and in the process brought the kingdom of God. Give me some names, please. Peter, thank you. Paul. Paul. This is a good class. 
Lydia, Priscilla and Aquila, normally not shouted out. Anybody else? Stephen? Dorcas? Luke? Good. That's three of my six. What if I were to put the question another way? What if I were to say those six key figures included a value-added service provider, two people in manufacturing, a military policeman, a high-end fashion dealer, an international finance minister, and an eminent surgeon? Well, you got three of them. Far-fetched? No, that's the problem. Because of this dualism where it's what's done inside the church program and the church building that is somehow spirit-fueled and the rest is not. We separate these in our minds. In God's mind, they're unified. So the value-added retailer was where Peter was working from the premises of Simon the Tanner. It was in Simon the Tanner's tannery with all the smells of both lunch and leather that Peter gets that amazing vision which changes his theology and as a result you and I are sat in this room today because the gospel was then preached to the Gentiles. Thank you Simon the Tanner as well as thank you Peter. That incident included the military police because the Roman centurion that Peter then met was in a military police rotation. They rotated their responsibilities and that's A strategic element, not only spreading the gospel in Europe, but beyond. Two people in manufacturing, you guessed it, were Priscilla and Aquila. Paul met them in Athens. They worked together. The church at Corinth was born out of the teamwork that ensued. By the way, if you're thinking mission trips and finance... uh, I forget the number, I think it was 11 of the apostles altogether I calculated once had some form of commercial activity as part of their apostolic remit. What Paul and Priscilla and Aquila and others did was to have a mobile tent manufacturing unit which they went round to fund themselves and to give work to others, I imagine, and Priscilla and Aquila were right at the heart of that mobile tent manufacturing. It was their manufacturing base which was the base from which Paul and the team operated. They travelled with Paul and the team. Paul leaves them at Ephesus. They risked their lives for him. All the churches at Corinth were recorded as being grateful for them. The church, presumably in Corinth, met in their home. And it was this husband and wife manufacturing team that straightened out the theology of Apollos, another leading apostle. They gave him understanding. And Paul called them his fellow workers both with leather and stitch and in the kingdom of God through the mouth and through acts of kindness. High-profile, high-end fashion designer was Lydia, a dealer in purple dye. High-end. It's the Armani or Gucci of our day, I wish. The best I can do is, what's this thing called? Shuffle. But she was the first European convert and her network probably her little design house, such as it was, was the first outreach base for the first outreach team into Europe. She provided a home for Paul and his team. Finance minister, often forgotten, was the Ethiopian eunuch. If you ever wonder with your church history why Africa has always had a presence of Christianity, look no further than the Ethiopian eunuch and what God did through that workplace man. And of course Luke was the eminent surgeon. 
So then, the Bible is rich. It is full with examples of God at his work through ordinary men and women. And if you have eyes to see, which I hope after today, they will at least see some of this. You can see it in Scripture almost every time you look. Spirit-fueled work right through the pages of Scripture. We've said work is wonderful, it's godly, and by the way, it's eternal. Uh, you may or may not be surprised to know that in heaven there is work right now and it's happening. Happy to talk about that in a different context, but right now work is happening in heaven and it's engaging with earth. Work was the first responsibility, work was the first anointing. There are 198 occupations written in Scripture. 60% of all our Bible heroes were working men and women. Half of Scripture, 50%, was written by working men and women. And Hebrews chapter 12, which is the chapter on what, please? Heroes of the faith. Next time you read it, look. 15 of the 17 heroes of faith were working men or women. I remember being in Kuala Lumpur and I'd been doing some preaching and they gave me a day off and on this day off they took me up the Minara Tower. There are two towers in Kuala Lumpur. There's the Petronas Towers, those two that you often see in films. The Minara Tower is a bit like our space uh, not our space, our BT tower or the Space Needle in Seattle. And they took me up on this thing and there were 12 stations where you look out over the city of Kuala Lumpur and they give you an audio recording to walk around with. So when you're at station one, you press button one and you hear the recording. I get all the way around to the last station. The very next thing is the exit. And I realize afterwards this has been carefully choreographed. As I get to station 12, I'm now looking out over a portion of the city where there is row after row of golden-topped Muslim mosques. And the commentary says this, and I have never forgotten it. It is etched into my mind. In the 14th century, Indian merchants came to this country and they showed us by their lifestyle, let me get the words right because my head's somewhere else. They showed us by their lifestyle and their faith that we could be freed from the back shackles of Buddhism. So we embrace their faith, their language, and their culture. Commentary, Station 12. And two things went through my mind at that moment. It was like hair on the back of my neck stood up tight moment, and there was this sense of shame almost that I have never once heard that said about any country in relation to the Christian faith. And then this deep-seated growing longing and actually now a confidence that before I die, this could be said of many countries of Christians in their country who showed us by their faith and their lifestyle that we could be freed from the shackles of hedonism, materialism, capitalism, socialism, any other ism, humanism. And may that be so. The starting point then for spirit-fueled work 
starts with you. Colossians 3, Paul puts it this way. Whatever you do, word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do, accountants, homemaker, farmer, educator, caring worker, social worker, politician, shop floor, office worker, sales, law and order, studying, voluntary work, whatever you do, Whatever you do, you do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. There's a very simple principle here, again, unpacked in the books, and it, it, it could be another message. You can develop it yourselves in your small groups. Don't go to work alone. And the starting point, if you want a spirit-fueled workplace, is to start with settling the issue that whatever I do, I am doing this for Jesus. I'm not doing it for the biggest pay packet. Grateful as I am for the pay packet. I'm doing it because this is a place right now where I can serve Jesus. The prophet Bon Jovi put it better than I can. He says, welcome to wherever you are. This is your life. You made it this far. Welcome. You've got to believe that right here, right now is where you are meant to be. Now, I can't develop this other than to say something which I hope will help illuminate a track of thinking that is debilitating, chaining us up. This track of thinking deep down means I'm looking for some kind of unique revelation about a call of God to something that is really where I'm going to serve God. And it's interesting, I've been doing this for four decades, folks. I've spoken to tens of thousands about this, and this is consistently there, where charismatic Christians are looking for something else, somewhere else, somewhere else, to serve God and please God. And in the process, like chasing the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, which is never there, you stand the chance of living your whole life missing the beauty, the vibration, and the color of the rainbow, which was around you all the time. Welcome to wherever you are. This is your life. You've made it this far. Welcome. You've got to believe that right here, right now, is where you are meant to be. And I saw it like this in one dream. In this dream, I saw tens of thousands of soldiers beautifully formed. I don't mean in any way sensual. I just mean in the prime of life, fit and healthy, dressed in military fatigues, with all the armaments stockpiled, enough for any scale of conflagration. But in the dream, these tens of thousands are milling around aimlessly, wandering about by the supplies tents and where it says reserve units. And in the dream, I cry out and I say, God, why are these not on the front line? And the voice comes back and says, because no one has told them they are the front line. God has no other front line where you work except you and me. Welcome to wherever you are. We are his front line. Let that sink in. Believe it in your heart of hearts. 
and watch the spirit-fueled nature of God's purpose in your work where you are begin to find expression. And like those doors we talked about at the beginning, you will see endless horizons of possibility begin to open up over time. You will see doors open, doors of conversation, doors of promotion, demotion, sideways move, where God himself is moving through you in your workplace because finally you've clocked it. And whatever you do, you are doing for Jesus. Let me ask you this question, and with this I'm drawing to a close. Do you really want spirit-fueled work? And be careful with your answer. Let me ask you a question. It's rhetorical, but answer it in your own heart first off as the question comes out of my mouth. Here's the question. Where do you experience more of the presence of God? 10.30 tomorrow morning in this room or 9 o'clock Monday morning and the answer actually depends on what you believe. The distance between the Holy Spirit meeting with you or not in your workplace is microscopically small and it's in your head and in your heart. Jehovah Shammah means the God who is there. Emmanuel means the God who is with us. I will never leave you or forsake you. Therefore, I can say with confidence, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me is the God who will never leave us or forsake us. And never means never. And I want to suggest, as I close, it would be offensive to this magnificent Holy Spirit who breathed on our beautiful green and blue orb and brought into being through the words of Jesus all that we enjoy in creation and beyond. It would be offensive, wouldn't it? To suggest that that Holy Spirit, with his infinite wisdom, creativity, intellect, and power, is limited or wants to limit us to operating primarily in a church-only context. Listen, don't hear what I'm not saying. Thank God for the church and may the Spirit come. But the church is not all that there is. Because without deprecating the place and the importance of church life, church engagement and church programs, again, thank God for them. I want to suggest to you today that the Holy Spirit is longing to engage with you, your mind, your activities, in your place of work. If we seek him in our spheres of work, the chances are very high we will find him. If we expect him, the chances are very high he will not disappoint us. And if we invite him, the chances are very high that he will turn up. So spirit-filled work begins by understanding that 
That is exactly what God created, designed, and intended. Three stages. It gets ignited as I believe that what I'm doing, I'm genuinely doing for Jesus. I remember God in everything I do. I pray without ceasing. I involve the Spirit of God in my everyday work. It gets activated by a lifestyle that daily, sometimes hourly, remembers God in everything I do. Those arrow prayers, those moments in the bathroom where you just open your hands and remind yourself that the Spirit's presence is with you. And then it gets fulfilled as I look for the opportunities of the Spirit in daily life, in my skill, in my ability, in my knowledge. And I put my spiritual gifts and my natural talent to work however I can, wherever I can. That's why Paul says, take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Father, I want to pray you would pull down the stronghold of dualism in all its wicked manifestations in every mind in this room right now. Pray you'd help us to take every thought captive that suggests somehow the Spirit is not interested in my work, my craft, my neighborhood, my voluntary engagement. And would you give us the mind of Christ which always does the will of his Father, which always pleases God, and the mind of Christ which knows what it is to work in partnership with the Holy Spirit. Would you help each one of us, whatever we do, to do it as if we were doing it for Jesus? And in that moment, settling that issue, invite, expect, and seek for the Spirit of God in whatever it is we do. Amen.